Hello and welcome to the Highlights Podcast. I'm Simon Goodacre, the Assistant Director of Communications and Marketing for Brandeis University's Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. Today I'm speaking with Chris Kono. He is a second year PhD student in chemistry and he's working in Irv Epstein's lab on Turing patterns. Welcome yes. to the podcast, Chris. Thank you, Simon. It's great to be here. So could you tell me what is a Turing pattern? I assume that's named after the mathematician Alan Turing. Yes, absolutely. So in Turing's, Alan Turing's one paper on, chem, on chemistry or mathematical biology, he proposed this mechanism where you, can, you start off with a homogenous system, so something like an embryo where you have a bunch of cells, but all those cells are pretty much the same. But through a random initial perturbation, you're able to get heterogeneity arising. What that leads to is the formation of a complete organism where you have lots of differentiated cells in your body. And all of that, we think, arises from this Turing mechanism, or at least that's the idea behind it. And so there's a couple more things involved. There's a couple parameters that need to be met. But this is really a way you can start with something uniform and get a non-uniformity arising from that. So as you're thinking of an embryo, you know, everyone, every, everything starts with one cell and then right. it splits into two and into four mm. and into eight. So this is the process by which those cells go from being identical to being a blood cell or a neuron or something like that? that that's what we think, yes. Okay. Absolutely. And, and how, how did Alan Turing's, uh, he, he made uh, predictions about this, is my understanding, back in, uh, well, when he was still alive. Uh, right, yeah, right. Now, this six, is like... Six decades ago. Um, yeah. Could you speak to that a little bit? So, yeah, he started out with a very simple, almost just purely chemical model. And all this that takes place is this reaction diffusion process. And what makes it interesting is the diffusions have to be at a very... Uh, at a very different ratio, and that's where you were able to get these Turing patterns arising from. And we've seen this a lot in very many different types of animal skins, such as leopard spots, zebra stripes, numerous different fish. And the fish are what we actually like to do experiments on if you're a biologist studying this. So I understand that a few uh, years ago, the Epstein and Frayden labs provided some experimental evidence for Turing's predictions, but how are you working with Turing patterns now? Yeah, so in the early 1990s, uh, the first examples of experimental Turing patterns that we were actually able to see that weren't just from this simulations of this mechanism were found in France. And since then, places like France and Texas had been doing those experiments, but it was us here at Brandeis who were able to model them. And so we've been using this model as well as doing our own experiments now to further extend our understanding of the Turing mechanism and what that entails. What I do in particular is I analyze the effect of growth has on these Turing patterns. And growth is so critically important because all biological systems grow. So we need to understand how that plays a role in order to see how these patterns develop naturally. And what materials are you using for the experimentation? So we, I'm a chemist. I'm in the chemistry department, obviously. And so what we use is a purely chemical system. It's called the Sedema reaction. Sedema stands for chlorine dioxide, iodine, and malonic acid. And so what we do with that is we are able to uh, use this experimental system that we've developed over the years. And we are able to, in a thin gel layer, see these Turing patterns. And then because this reaction is photosensitive, we're able to use the light to help grow the system where the Turing patterns can form, simulating growth. 
I see. So nothing, uh, even though it's uh, simulating an embryo, it's not actually a Oh, no, no, no. We (laughs) use chemistry because chemistry is so much simpler than any sort of biological system where there's hundreds and thousands of things happening. Down the road, what are the practical applications for this research? So as I said earlier, there are so many ways that turn patterns can be found in nature, whether it's biological or ecological. And so... In nature, we need to understand how these patterns grow and how turn patterns form so we can not only see where those morphologies lie, but we also want to be able to track and then therefore somehow to control or uh, redirect the development of these turn patterns. So if we're able to see where these turn patterns are coming from and see where this growth is occurring, hopefully we'd be able to find some way to prevent that growth. But in order to prevent something, you need to be, be able to see where it's coming from. And that's kind of where our research plays a role. Is there uh, an interdisciplinary aspect to the work that you're doing? Oh, hugely. Absolutely hugely. Turing patterns, we actually, from when Turing came up with his mechanisms, this was strictly a mathematical problem and a mathematical biology problem because they were able to simulate this in tons of different ways. Uh, and, and we simulate it to gain insight into the biology behind it. So as the chemists, we're kind of the middleman where we can take the predictions from the mathematicians, actually see it experimentally, and then hopefully compare that to what you're able to see in organisms that exhibit Turing patterns. And uh, switching gears slightly, um, working at Brandeis, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about your experience here. Um, how would you describe the lab environment here? It's honestly better than I could have possibly hoped for coming here. We're such a small, uh, still very liberal arts-feeling school, and we are able to have so many collaborations. Both I, I work with everyone in my lab, but also people in lots of other chemistry labs, physics labs, biology labs. All of those things are only possible because we're such a small school, I think. And plus, you're able to go and see any faculty member you want. I'd say almost everyone has an open door policy, so we're just able to go knock on their knock on their door. If they have a minute, you can go in and chat with them about their research. It's really fantastic. With the faculty, how would you describe your experience with them? Do you have any particular uh, mentors on campus? Or? Well, mentor-wise, Herb's obviously my PI, so he does a lot of mentoring. But I also work with this project in particular with Milo Stolnik, who is the general chemistry lab head guy and he has been doing this system for years so we're able to do some research there and he's definitely really mentored me a lot over the past year and a half that I've been here. And uh, a couple more questions for you. I understand that you're a fellow in our com lab yes. with Anika Olivia Mason. Uh, what what uh, inspired you to uh, become a fellow and what has the experience been like? Uh, the experience has been very positive. I wanted to become a pe- fellow because it is something science communication you can't just have science for scientists. Science needs to be able to be understood to for everyone, including like the general public. And that's how you're going to influence policy, is if everyone is on the same page. And so I wanted to join the Com Lab because it's a lot of professional development and also working with people who don't necessarily, un- who want to communicate their science but don't know how. And that's really what we focus on, is making sure we reach the audience that you want to reach, not just the audience in your own head. And uh, final question, I've got to ask you the perennial favorite. Uh, Do you have any plans yet for what you're going to do after Brandeis, or is it still a bit early? Oh, in my second year, I still got a couple years left. I'll give that thought a little down the line. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Well, Chris, thank you so much for making time for this. Well, thank Uh, you for having me. You're very welcome. And uh, listeners, we hope you'll join us next time on the Highlights Podcast.